the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, A Dead Man's Daughter. That's A Dead Man's Daughter, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the conclusion to A Dead Man's Daughter. Today's Reaching Your Heart. What did God choose to remind Israel to keep His commandments? They were to place what? Four blue tassels, a cord of blue, on the four corners of their garments to remind them to keep the Ten Commandments of God. In the context, the seventh-day Sabbath had just been violated. A man had picked up sticks on the Sabbath. He had said to God in his face, I don't care about the Sabbath day. That man had lost his life because of rebellion. And God, because he's a loving God, wanted to remind the people of Israel that they are to keep all of God's commandments. And so he gave these four blue tassels on every border. They were commanded to put them there to remind them that no matter where their feet went, they were to obey God. They were not to think as if they were smarter than God. They were not to reinterpret his law according to their philosophy. They were to bring their ideas into submission to his word. Now, why did blue represent the law of God? That's the question asked. Now, many people may not realize, but the veil of the sanctuary that separated the holy from the most holy was purple. Purple is a combination of what two colors? Blue and red which means that we have the color of the law, which is blue, coming together with the color red, which represents the blood. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the veil. Why? Because the law of God and the blood meet in Jesus Christ, and he is the veil. But we ask the question, why did blue represent the law of God? The answer is found in Exodus 24, verses 9 to 12. Here the covenant was made at Sinai. They had just been brought out of Egypt. God is giving his law. He has spoken the Ten Commandments with his own voice in Exodus 20. And then Moses and Aaron, verse 9, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. I ask you the question, verse 10, what is the stone that God is standing on? What does it say in the verse? What color is sapphire stone? The Hebrew is sapphire. What color is sapphire stone? Blue. So God is standing on blue sapphire stone. It says, like the very heaven for clearness. Look at verse 11. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, they ate and they drank. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 12 is the key verse, come up to me on the mountain and wait there and I will give you Tables of stone, but that's not how the Hebrew reads. Literally, luchot ha'evan, tables of the stone. But the Hebrew says, and the law singular, and the commandment. 
what we have is a parallel series of phrases. The stone, which is the law, which is the commandment. It's an appositional technique, which I have written for their instruction. God was teaching here that his law is not mushy stuff. His law is not something that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's the rock-solid stuff of your life. Tables of the stone, the law, the commandment is how it reads. Dear heart, God wants you to know that when you plant your feet on his word, there is solidity to what you are standing on. Now we know this, that that definite article, an article particle in the Hebrew, tables of the stone, must refer to something in the context. And the only stone in the context is the blue stone, the sapphire stone that God is standing on. This is why the ancient Jewish people understood how to read the Hebrew of this verse. They knew that the Ten Commandments was taken from the blue sapphire throne of God because they read this correctly. They read it with the right eye. The only stone in the context is the blue sapphire stone that God is standing on. Now let me ask you this question. Is sapphire a common stone Or is it a beautiful, precious stone? What kind of stone is it? Any gemologists here? No gemologists. Now, I collect nice rocks. I went to India, and I bought my wife a beautiful emerald. My son lost it. Somebody bought me an emerald to replace it with. He found it years later. But I also got her a little piece of sapphire that was a fake sapphire. It cracked like a piece of glass. Someone sold me something that wasn't real. But if you have the real thing, it's a precious stone, isn't it? The only stone in the context here is a precious stone that God is standing on. The throne here represents God's rule and God's authority. Now, how do we know this is the throne of God? Ezekiel 126, Ezekiel sees in prophetic vision God coming in the pillar of fire and cloud from the north. He sees God standing on that same blue sapphire stone we find in Exodus 24. And he says very clearly that that stone is the throne of God. There's no missing it. It's the throne of God. So God was standing on a stone, a precious stone, which was his throne. And Moses was told, come up to me, and I will give you tables of the stone, referring back to the one in the context, the law and the commandment. The context is clear. That rock, God's throne, correlates to his law. You cannot separate the two. The Ten Commandments came from God's throne, and they are an extension of God's rule and God's authority. The blue tassel was God's way of reminding Israel to never forget that God's rule matters in every matter of your life. Now, some people have asked, Pastor Mike, has anybody seen this in the church other than you? Have you ever heard of Sarah Peck, who wrote Pathway to the Throne of Grace? My favorite theologian, who wrote a lot of material, had a secretary. Her name was Sarah Peck. In that book, she saw the connection between the blue stone throne of God as the source of God's commandments, as I've here given you. So nothing's new in our church. The blue tassel was God's way of reminding Israel to never forget that God's rule matters in every area of your life. You are to have those tassels to keep all of the commandments and be true blue to God, not because you are smarter than him, but because you submit to his word. For the Jewish leader of the synagogue, the law was nothing more than letters written on a stone that was just not alive at all. If it was alive, there would have been authority for him to heal and power to preach the word to the unclean woman who was not allowed in the synagogue of Capernaum. For Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, the law was only stone. It was a dispensation written on letters of rock, and it was not alive. And when the law is only stone, dear heart, the heart is stone too. 
And so it's not enough for it to come from some inanimate thing. If the law does not come from something that is alive, then the law is not alive. Now, Peter was there, and he saw that woman. He made the connections. He knew when she touched his blue tassel what it represented. And Peter knew that the blue tassel represented God's law and God's throne. He knew that the law came from the blue stone throne of God. He knew, like John in Revelation 7, that the Lamb is in the center of the throne. At the heart of God's authority is Jesus. And Jairus was a dead man walking because he did not know who Jesus was. He did not recognize Jesus as the law. He did not recognize that the heart of God's throne is a heart that beats, a heart that is alive, a truth that is personal. He did not recognize Jesus as God's ultimate authority and rule like the Roman centurion had. And so he didn't get it. But Peter did. Peter would later write this in 1 Peter 2. Come to Jesus, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourself built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the woman reached out. She reached out and she touched the tassel and she grasped the tassel. And as the song said, she was touching God. There was power as she held the tassel. She was engaging the great I am. And as she touched the tassel, she touched the blue stone that it represented. She touched the one who was in the center of the throne, according to the book of Revelation. She touched the rock of ages. And springs of living water come from that stone, from the midst of the Lamb who leads us to the throne. And as she touched it, the true blue living stone that is Jesus, the living rock, the precious rock, she reached out and touched the very person of God. And as she did so, that living stone made her alive. And one who was unclean became clean. And when she touched Jesus' blue tassel by faith, she reached out and she felt the authority of God because God touched her too. Luke 8, 45, and Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes surround you and press upon you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone forth from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Luke is careful to say that the crowd pressed hard around Jesus and the woman's miracle in the context became Jairus' tragedy. Her joy became his sorrow because she held him up going to the house to save his little girl. Jesus delayed to heal the woman he wouldn't let in his own church. Jesus' delay to heal her meant the death of his daughter. And so the word Jairus did not want to hear came to him on the way to the house of his dying daughter. Verse 49, Luke 8, And while he was still speaking, a man from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. There's drama in the mix here. This story here is a living narrative. This man now has nothing he can do. All his scheming has failed. He cannot manipulate a miracle for himself. Jairus' house was the house of unbelief. The messenger said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. You know, for the house of unbelief, you trouble the teacher when you ask him to heal, when it looks impossible to heal. The house of unbelief quits praying when reason says it's impossible to reverse the evil in your own house. 
In the house of unbelief, you trouble the teacher when you fall on your knees and you beg him to come to your house. That's troubling the teacher. You trouble the teacher when you walk with him on the way to your house and it looks like he can't do anything for your house. And when the miracle doesn't work out your way, the house of unbelief says it's time to stop troubling the teacher anymore. No more time to pray because prayer doesn't work. The house of unbelief only walks with Jesus when it looks like Jesus will give you what you want. Is your house the house of unbelief? Analyze it here today. Dear heart, Jesus is not annoyed with your trouble. He's not annoyed with your struggle for faith. Christ is not annoyed with your prayers that seem awkward and your prayers that are nothing but a beggar's plea for mercy for your house. He wants you to seek him however you seek him. He's not afraid to come to the house of death and fear and turn it into a house of life and faith when the odds are impossible and when the experts say it can't happen, that's when Jesus wants to come to your house, dear heart. Luke 8, 50, but Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she shall be well. I mean, Christ could stand here today. He could repeat these very same words to you in the middle of this economic collapse as you may be losing your house in a mortgage crisis, as your job has been stripped from you, as your children are disrespectful to you at the time of adolescence, as you're struggling to pull it together, he could just as easily say to you, do not fear, only believe, and it will be well with you and your family. The house of unbelief is the house of death, and fear is the awful power that holds the sinner in its chains. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Did you know that? If you're controlled by fear, it's time to let it go because fear and faith cannot live in the same place. To believe, you must surrender your fear to Jesus and accept the faith of Jesus. To believe, you must let go of fear and touch the blue tassel. Allow the living God to come to you and to flow through you. Let the power of Christ come into your situation. Jairus saw this miracle in front of his eyes and he didn't get it. Peter said, come to Jesus, that living stone, and become a part of a spiritual house built up by God that is full of life. We need to be a different kind of place of worship, Peter is saying, where Jesus is the life. Verse 51, and when he came to the house, Jesus permitted no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. So there is Jairus in the story, the ruler of the synagogue, holding his weeping wife, over the dead body of his little girl. She was a dead man's daughter now. I said a dead man's daughter. She was dead, he was dead too. His miracle in his own warped way must be her miracle for him to live. If she doesn't arise, his faith will not come up. For him to live in his own head, she must live. He had no life to offer her now. His scheme to compel Jesus to heal her had failed. His best effort was a dead man's work. An unclean woman had delayed the teacher. Now his daughter was dead because of her. That pesky person he kept out of the church had gummed it up so his own daughter died. He had no authority to reverse the curse of death in this little girl. And because his daughter was dead, because she was dead, she had no life to give him in a house that should have been a house of faith for the clean and the unclean. The synagogue should have been a place like that. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so he called out to the little girl, but in his call to her, he was calling to her parents. Jesus came to call the lost family of Israel back to God. 
So he called out to the little girl, Child, arise. And when the word of Jesus called out to the little girl, she heard his kind word in death. His kind word that found her family, that found them when they couldn't fix their own problems, that found her deep in death, and the little girl woke up. The same call comes today to every heart that is willing to hear the kind of call that Jesus makes. Jesus calls the call to come to life, the call to get up and come home, the call to arise. The house of death was a house of fear, and fear and death keep people down deep inside. You know, I found that pessimism rules in a house where unbelief is there. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you have a pessimistic home. Your children are learning to be pessimistic because you are pessimistic. If you want your children to be optimistic believers, entrepreneurial in the work of God, you better fall on your knees and ask God to do something with your unbelief because your faith becomes the model for their faith and they are looking to you. And if you've erred in this way, dear heart, Jesus can do for you what he did for Jairus. He can heal your children and in healing your children, he can heal you too. When Jesus heals a person from unbelief, they arise and they don't have to stay down one minute anymore. Verse 55, Luke 8. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. She didn't gradually get up. She got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. What we have in verse 55 is the key to staying alive after you've been healed, and your spirit has returned to you. When God raises you up, if you don't do something, you're going right back down. And here's what you have to do. You see, there are many people today who feel that they've accepted Jesus. If they believe in Jesus, that's it. They're saved. They're in. They're on their way to heaven. They don't realize if, if they've been raised up and they've been baptized and raised up with Christ, if they don't eat, they're going to die again. So the first thing Jesus says is, you've got to eat. And so if you come to church and you've been baptized in the Christ, but you don't bother to read your Bible, you don't bother to interact with God's Word through biblical preaching, maybe through prayer meeting and other means like this, you're dying spiritually. It's just a matter of time and you're going back to the deathbed. He said, give that girl something to eat. Dear heart, Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven. He is the word of God. He is the rock-solid stuff that you can stand on and base your life upon. You can reach out and touch him. You can touch him, and in touching him, you touch the throne of God. And there is life in him, that living stone. If you were baptized into Jesus, dear heart, you were raised up with Jesus. Paul says you were raised up into the heavenly places in Jesus so that in the coming ages... God could manifest his glory in you for the sake of Jesus and reveal it to the universe. You're important to God. But you cannot live unless you feed on Jesus and his word every day of your life. There was a day in which our people in this place, we were a Bible-believing people. I don't know about you, but I'm troubled by some of the stuff I see today. A conference in North America, in our denomination, took an executive committee action recognizing a major university in a state of apostasy from the teachings of the Bible because of the teaching of evolution that has gone unchecked in that university. I would never have imagined in my lifetime that among the remnant people we would have professors teaching that we evolved from the primordial muck and that there would be a blatant denial of the third angel's message from within our own church. We are living in difficult days. And dear heart, it is a time to surrender the stuff of human wisdom to the authoritative power of God's word. Jesus said this, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe me. And when we take light the Genesis account, we take light the description of God's leading in sacred history, we call it a faith 
mythology narrative, as the former president of that university has said on public television, something's wrong. Dear heart, I want to believe in the word of God. Now, I'm not what you call a person who believes blindly. I believe there's evidence to believe the scripture is true. But we don't have proof. But we also don't have proof for this other stuff that's out there in the secular world. And if I have to plant my feet on something firm, I'm going to stand on God's rock, on God's word, on Jesus Christ. If you stop feeding on Jesus, you'll sooner or later die. And there are people dying in the church, and they can be academics or not. They're dying without Jesus. The name Jairus is taken from the Hebrew, and it literally means he shines. For the first time in his dark, dead life, Jairus came to life, and he understood that the synagogue should be a place for the living word of God, a place for Jesus, for life and light that accepts the unclean he had kept out, who brings that person in that needs God. It's a place to feed on the word of God. It's a place to be raised up and live again. Jairus means he shines. There's a song that says, shine, Jesus, shine. Dear heart, Jesus shines through you when you accept his word. Luke ends the story of the miracle of the dead man's daughter in verse 56, Luke 8, 56. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. When God heals your family, you don't have to blather it all over the church and embarrass your children with the news. You can keep it private. That's what Jesus is saying. Everyone in the church doesn't even know the details about what he did for you and your family behind a closed door. There are certain miracles that don't have to be testimonies. They can simply be miracles. You don't have to tell others what he did inside the house for you. It may be too personal to do. It's okay. That's okay. When that little girl got up, it was obvious what Jesus had done for her. People didn't have to be told. They could see she was walking and running and praising God. She was talking and she was eating. Her parents were alive and happy. A family was whole again. She was no longer a dead man's daughter. And Jairus was no longer a dead man walking either. His little girl was alive. And he had found something. He had found something. The man who was in charge of the synagogue of Satan, he had found something. That in Jesus he could be alive. And his synagogue became a home for faith and a house of life. Because Jesus came to his house when he begged him to. And the house of unbelief met the authority of the rock of ages. And the hand of Jesus, the touch of Jesus, the call of Jesus, called his little girl to life. And when Jesus called out to her, he came to life too. Jairus started out as a dead man walking. This was the story of a dead man's daughter. But it ended with life. A living man who loved God and a daughter who was very much alive, and a family that had found life in Jesus through the word of Jesus and the authority of Jesus when he visited their home and did the impossible for them. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Father, we don't say this today in a trite kind of way. Thank you that you took the center of your authority. At the heart of your rule of your throne is the lamb in the center of the throne. How you sent the true blue son of God to this world. And that he was found on that road to Jairus' house. He was touched. And then he touched Jairus' daughter and he called her to life. Father, I pray for the heart that needs you here. For the person who cannot feel you. For the person whose word seems distant and aloof and meaningless in their life. May they know that Jesus visits homes today. The same power can change their life today. Father, change that heart and life.
Keep your people and your promise. And Father, help them to believe. In the name of Jesus, we believe and we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. If this broadcast has ministered to you, remember you can download a copy from reachingyourheart.com. There are also many other messages available at that website. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times, and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement And it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe. Events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to his second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.